The following is a paid program. The opinions are those of the hosts and guests and not necessarily those of the station or its management. Welcome to I Communicate on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. To join the conversation, call 508-871-7000. Now, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome to I Communicate, and uh, glad you're back with us. And I'm in the greatest mood today because I just walked into the studio, and my partner in crime, who I've been missing tremendously, Ted, is back. Ted, so great to see you. Hey, man, good morning, good afternoon. What, wait a minute, where are we? We're in, we're in it, it, I'm your partner in what? <laughs> Love it, crime. See, we miss those kind of sound effects. So, all right, Ted, so today we're continuing a conversation we had last week about the uh, most important skill possibly a person could have, which is uh, self-awareness and managing yourself. And last week, we spent a lot of time talking about, just to, just to refresh our audience and bring, bring you back to where we were, we spent a lot of time talking about internal self-awareness and external self-awareness. And what was the difference between the two? And internal self-awareness is how clearly we see ourselves, our values, our passion, our aspirations, how clearly we see how we react to certain behaviors and feelings and thoughts and so on and so forth. External self-awareness is how other people view us. And that can be the same, right? It's how other people see our values, passions, how we react to certain situations, our strengths, our weaknesses, and ultimately impact on others. So internal is how you see yourself. External is how others see you. And here's the funny thing about confidence. Confidence the, one of the biggest determining factors in confidence besides those two things is how you think others see you, which is another form of self-awareness, right? So we talked a lot about that last week. Uh, we talked about some personas around self-awareness. And I wanted to start out the show today as we continue on this topic by sharing an experience I just had with some kids because I think it's pretty relevant to what we're talking about. So I have decided this summer to coach um, a 13, 14-year-old Babe Ruth baseball team. And this is a group of kids I know pretty well. I've been an assistant coach for the last three years, coaching most of these kids. And I finally wanted to have the opportunity. They're going into high school. I was like, this could be my last shot to ever coach these kids. So I volunteered to be the head coach. And I decided that I'm going to make this coaching experience much different than probably they're used to. And I'm going to really impart my values and how to build confidence and how to lift people up on these kids. So last night was our last practice before the season. And this is what I said to him, Ted. I said, there's going to be three recurring themes this season that you're going to hear me talk about. And I explained to them what emotional intelligence is. I'm here. I am talking to these 13 and 14 year old kids about emotional intelligence. And I said, all you need to know for you from where you're at right now about emotional intelligence is self-awareness, situational awareness. So I put it in terms they could understand. Baseball, you're out in the field. What's my job? What am I supposed to do? Right? I'm not right. Well, so what am I supposed to do? I'm not just supposed to sit there and wait till the ball's hit to me. When the ball's hit to me, how many outs are there? Who's on base? Where am I throwing the ball to? 
et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What basis am I responsible? So I explain self-awareness to them in that context. When you're at bat, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to keep your elbow up, keep your eye on the ball. All these things that coaches tell kids and baseball players all the time. All the things that coaches to tell, tell kids, keep your glove down. These are all things about self-awareness. These are all things to keep on top of mind and build habits. The second thing I told him is communication. I said, we're going to be a team that talks to each other. We're going to be a team that helps each other understand what those situations are. The catcher, the shortstop, the center fielder, you're all going to be responsible to communicate to your teammates what's going on so they stay aware and focused on what we're doing for the little things, the fundamentals, the details. And then this is the, this is the piece de resistance, Ted. The last thing I asked them to do before they left practice, I literally thought they thought I was like Dr. Frankenstein. I said, what I want you to do is I want you to go home tonight and I'm going to email your parents and I want you to all tell me what your individual goal this season is and what your team goal this season is. And I said, I understand you may not be used to doing something like that, but it's a very important skill to be self-aware of what you want to improve at and see the progress in your improvement. And I told them, don't send me an email back and say my goal is to be a better hitter because we can't measure that. Don't say I want to be a you know, better fielder. Say I want to make only two errors. I want to hit 300. I want to do whatever. So it got me thinking about self-awareness. And one of the things that I thought about heading into our show today is it is so scary and so hard for people to reflect often about where they're lacking, where they need to develop, where they need to be better. And Ted, I guess I want to ask you, have you had an experience like that in your career where a boss or a peer has come up to you and said, so Ted, where do you think you need to be better? And if so, what was that like for you, if you remember? Well, it was, uh, I I did have that exact experience. um, And it was the first time I worked for a corporation after I had owned my own business for more than 20 years. Hmm. And uh, after the first uh, four quarters, I had um, exceeded their expectations and quota, and they had to pay me more than they had ever had to, because I hit all the points. They had to pay the bonuses. And my direct superior came to me and asked me this identical question. And, and I, I said to him, look, I, I'm here for the money. And you gave me an opportunity. I had to take that. And I don't think he was prepared. I don't think I was prepared to answer the question. I just shot from the hip. Well, so let me ask you a question about what you're saying. So is, is what you're communicating there that whatever you could have been self-aware of was somewhat secondary because the ultimate responsibility you had, you delivered on and then some. I always looked at those other things as secondary to the bottom line. Mm. It's gotten me in a lot of trouble over the years. Uh, People think I'm, what's that word, mercenary when I get into a sales situation? But it's because I know that yes is a much better answer than no. Well, I have to tell you, Ted, I think the scenario you're describing is... Um, still very commonplace today. And and, and I'm working with a couple of organizations right now. And Ted, you're going to know this, you'll get this, is they call themselves sales-driven organizations. Yes. Right? So the problem that some of these organizations are having is the leaders in those organizations 
are trying to teach skills to the lower levels of leadership, like coaching, like development, like better communication. And you know what those lower levels are saying? Hey, I'm hitting my quota, man. Right. You know, don't give me a hard time for not being as good of a leader because what you hired right. me for and what you paid me for is what I'm doing. And, and in effect, what they're saying is that's not our culture, man. You're right. And if you want it to be, then you need to rebuild the way you communicate with your employees, your, your inner public. And I would recommend hiring I communicate to do that. That's the way. I love it. Well, and, and actually, Ted, you brought everything full circle because you brought up the word culture. And so when I think of the word culture, that's exactly what I was trying to do with my baseball team is create a culture. This is what the expectations are. This is how we're going to be. One of the comments I said to the team last night is I said, if you see one of our pitchers give up a big hit that costs us a run and you see that pitcher hang his head, I want you guys to be fighting to try to pick that guy up. You know, what do you need to say to lift that guy up and tell him, as Bill Belichick so deftly said, we're on to Cincinnati. You know, what is it to get them to move on and be resilient and not get down on themselves? And so Ted's word culture is so appropriate because if you want people to be self-aware, if you want them to be accountable and vulnerable in the workplace, you need to create the culture to do so. One of the reasons I posed the question to Ted, has he been asked that kind of question before, is because, you know, one of the areas you see that kind of question asked, probably the most common, is in a job interview. Tell me about your biggest weakness, right? So beyond the fact that everybody's scared to answer that the wrong way and they don't know the right way to answer it, the problem is it implies that you've done some self-reflection to know your biggest weakness. And I'm going to share a quick anecdote that just happened in a job interview I was doing with an executive that was applying for a C-suite position. I asked him in the beginning of the interview, "What it, do you, I said, are you familiar with emotional intelligence? He said, I'm not. And I said, okay, would you like me to explain it to you for a minute or two? He said, I would. So I explained. I said, what's an area you could be more self-aware and be, you know, that you're self-aware of, you need to be better? He said, honestly, I don't really know. So right off the bat, I thought to myself, wow, you have no insight that you could share that from an internal perspective or an external perspective on how you could be better. And by the way, I hate the word weakness because it's such a, it's such like a triggering word for people. How about just area of development? How about something you just want to improve on? It doesn't have to be a weakness. He had no idea. Ted. I always like to ask the question in this way. What would you like to work on and let me help you with it? I love that. And so so I said this. So this is the conversation that we had. It was about a 30-second to a minute conversation. I said to him, let me ask you a question. Do you ever get angry at work? So when I come back from our first break, I'm going to share how he answered that question and how he made a discovery in the middle of that interview and what it meant for the interview. So for I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back. Okay, welcome back to iCommunicate, and I'm just going to pick up right where we left off. So we're talking about this executive I was interviewing. This is a guy who had an incredibly established track record of success, former operations guy, 
And so he doesn't know what emotional intelligence is. And so I ask him, do you ever get angry at work? Angry at any of the people that work for you or anything? He goes, of course I do. And then before I could even say anything else, he says, but people wouldn't know it. I said, what do you mean by that? He says, why don't ever let people see my emotions in the workplace? I said, wow, so the people that work for you and work with you must think you're the most even-keeled guy on this side of, you know, on this side of the Pacific, right? And he laughed. So I said, so when you do get angry, what do you do with the anger? Like, where does that anger go? And so he smiles and he pauses and he goes, yeah, I guess I internalize a lot of my anger. And so I said, what do you think happens then? How do you think that affects your leadership style when you internalize your anger? And he paused and he said, yeah, I think you got me. That's an area of self-improvement for me. And so I said, well, my intention wasn't to get you. My intention was to make a point to draw it out of you to see if I was even asking you questions if you could come up with your area of self-awareness. So the bottom line and the reason I shared that story today on I Communicate was it is uncomfortable to become self-aware. For many people, the thought of reflecting on why you're not, and I'm intentionally picking these words, if you reflect on an area of improvement and development, it means you're not good enough. And it doesn't actually mean you're not good enough, but people process it. If you have to articulate the words, I am not good at blank. I could be better at blank. It's like a shot to you. And if you have a, if you have some confidence issues, saying that out loud, saying it to others can often reinforce self-esteem issues you have, which is another reason why people don't like reflecting. You know, one of the points I made to the team as I was finishing practice last night, is I said, the assistant coach I chose for this team is a freshman at UMass who who played varsity baseball in high school. And I chose him to coach with me because he has strengths I do not. He has things he can teach that I couldn't. And I said that to the team. I can't teach you everything you need to know. So I kind of became self-aware and said, look, I want to pick an assistant coach that can complement. We can both offer different things. And by the way, just to get some closure before we shift gears on self-awareness, I got my first email from one of the players on the team whose assignment, remember, was to have an individual and team goal. And this is what he wrote me. He wrote, Dear Coach, my first individual goal for this season is to lose my ego that has led me to put down other teammates. I realized after the fact that this is wrong and good leaders pick their teammates up instead. My second individual goal is to make at most one error. And then the team goal I thought of is to win 10 out of 12 games. This is a 13 or 14-year-old kid we're talking about who says, I want to lose my ego so I don't put down other teammates. How many adults do you know in leadership positions, C-suite executives, directors, manager levels, parents that would say, I need to lose my ego So it doesn't impact the way I make others feel, the way I communicate to others. I mean, that's insane. Like, sorry, that blew me away that this kid came up with that. So, perfect segue. Because one of the assumptions we make in leadership is that experience guides us to self-awareness. This is a 13, 14-year-old kid. He doesn't have a whole heck of a lot of life experience. But he's already figured out something. And as a matter of fact, studies have shown 
that people don't always learn from experience. I mean, the whole premise of a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset is you learn from your mistakes. You don't beat yourself up about your mistakes. You don't dwell on your mistakes. You learn from the mistakes. Well, just because you have a lot of experience in something doesn't mean you're self-aware of what you've done and haven't done. As a matter of fact, I often joke that a lot of times when people are trying to sell their qualifications in networking situations, in job interviews, they'll say, well, I've been in sales for 20 years or I've been in insurance industry for 20 years. Well, just because you've been doing it for 20 years doesn't mean you're good at it. I know a lot of people who've been doing things for 20 years and who suck at it. So this experience is not an automatic equal. Just because you've experienced a lot doesn't mean you have more self-awareness. You can root out false information. Because bottom line is regardless of your level of experience, you have to seek discomforting evidence. And you have to be willing to question your assumptions. Those are the two characteristics. When you talk about managing yourself in internal and external self-awareness, that's what you need to do. You have to seek disconfirming evidence, discomforting evidence, and questioning our assumptions. And as a matter of fact, in another study about power is that sometimes experience leads to overconfidence because you feel like you've experienced so much You have such a versatile skill set that you need to be less aware. And as a matter of fact, several studies will say that the more power a leader holds, the more likely they are to overestimate their skills and abilities. So ironically, the higher you go up the food chain in leadership, in some cases, the more likely you are to be unaware. Now, why is that? Why is it? that the more power you have and the more success you have, the more likely you are to overestimate their skills. Well, there's a few reasons. One of them is when you're at the highest part of the food chain, you have less people above you who can provide feedback, right? So you're not getting as much feedback. And the only way you're getting that feedback is if you've created a culture where people who are managing up feel safe and comfortable to give you feedback and feel confident that you will act on the feedback. Second, the more power a leader has, the less comfortable people are willing to give them constructive feedback for fear of retribution. And third, as one's power grows, your willingness to listen often shrinks because they think they either know more than their employees or because seeking feedback will come at a cost. So, Self-awareness, if you know, if you, listen, if you're listening to this show today and you're thinking to yourself right now in your head, oh boy, I certainly know some people like what Mark just explained about leaders who think they have all the answers, don't look for discon- disconfirming feedback, you know, have more confidence than they should. You know people like that? Well, the simple answer is to do a 360. In a lot of organizations, and I've talked about this occasionally on past shows, a 360 is when the leader's team gets to give them feedback and interview them, so to speak. That's one way, right? That's, that's certainly one way. But ultimately, 
There are other ways. And we use the word often introspection. In introspection, when you reflect, it's, it would seem like if you're reflecting and introspecting, you would automatically be increasing your self-awareness. But that's not true. Because a lot of people, when they do introspection, Ted, think about this for a second. It's hard enough to get people to be willing to self-reflect and do introspection. That's an enormous hurdle, right? Now, can you imagine you get someone over that hump and they're like, okay, I'll do it. They could be doing it wrong. Yeah. How do you know? How do you know? And this is something that isn't often talked about. And by the way, one, one final thought before we go into our next break. This is one of my biggest pet peeves when I train people or coach someone how to do something. If I'm coaching you how to do public speaking, and then on your own time, you take an hour to practice public speaking, how do you know you're doing a good job? You have no idea. Unless you have a template or the coach is with you or someone knowledgeable can give you feedback. You really don't know. So this is the same as introspection. You may be self-reflecting incorrectly. And I know that's to be a shock to most people. So when we come back from our next break, we're going to talk about how to reflect correctly. For I communicate. One minute. I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back. Now, I communicate continues on full service radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate, and we're talking about self-awareness. And, you know, before we get back to the introspection comment about the right way to reflect and use introspection, just one quick final anecdote to summarize our first two segments. So I do a lot of work with organizations around performance improvement, habit change, change management, things like that. So this is how self-awareness directly ties into habit change. Now, I'm going to give you, for the next 30 seconds to a minute, I'm going to give you a template of this, but I want you to think about how this template applies to what you do in life as a parent, as a coach, as a boss, as a leader, whatever. Okay, so here's the template. So here I am teaching kids at practice that when you take the turn to first base, there's a way to take the turn that gives you an extra advantage when you're heading to second base. So I'm walking them through this strategy in the tip. And, of course, what's everybody in the team doing? Yep, got it, coach. Sounds great. All in. And I'm thinking to myself, there's no way. There's no way. It's going in one ear, right out the other. How do I know? They're agreeing because that's the chic thing to do in that moment. You're not trying to be rude. You're trying to agree. So this is, this is a template. When I'm trying to help people adopt new habits and embrace change, this is a two-question template that I want you to use for the rest of your life, in your personal life, in your professional life. Because let me tell you, if you're going to learn something new, if you have a role in learning, the first thing is you hope the person listening is going to be open-minded, okay, and paying attention. But these are the two things I ask after I teach something. Number one, how are you going to apply that? And of course, if it's a kid, they're like, what the heck are you talking about? How am I going to apply it? What I'm asking them is, I've just taught you something new. Are you going to practice it? Are you going to think about it, you know, when you go to at bat or when you're running or whatever? But it's how are you going to apply it? And even more important or as important, how are you going to remember it? 
It's about mindfulness. Ted and I have talked about this on this show. This is what mindfulness is. You've got to care enough. Because when someone tells you how to do something better, you know, part of why a kid may not be motivated to do it, it's not that he doesn't want to listen, but he's sitting there going, yeah, I could do that, but, you know, I'm going to be hanging out with my friends later on tonight. I don't know how much I really care, and how much is this really going to help me? I'm not going to play in the pros. If they haven't understand their own motivators and benefits for why they should care, I don't care whether you're a director-level leader or you're a kid playing 13- and 14-year-old summer baseball. If you don't know why it's worth doing, you're not going to do it. And if you don't know how to apply it, you're not going to do it. And if you don't know how to remember it, even if you want to apply it, you're not going to do it. So we have to change the way we talk to people a little bit here. Because getting people to agree to do something different, that's all. Not, that's not really that valuable in many cases. Having a plan to know how they will execute it and do it, now that's valuable. So I just wanted to share that little habit change conversation template because it's really important. Now, we're talking about introspection. So here's the problem. When we self-reflect, let's say we made a mistake. Let's say we did something wrong. Okay, what do we do? We think to ourselves, why did that happen? Okay, why? Why do I like employee A so much more than employee B, Ted? Why did I fly off the handle and overreact at that person? Why am I so against this decision? Why? Now, by the way, what's crazy you're going to find out about this is we usually like the question why. Because normally the why is giving people context, giving people meaning in things. So the question why in many cases in life is really good. In this case, not so great. So we don't want to do why. What we want to do is what? And here's the shift. Why is a surprisingly ineffective self-awareness question. Because we don't always have access, and I don't mean to get too deep on everybody here, but we don't always have access to all our unconscious thoughts and feelings and motives that we're searching for. I don't know too many people who are really doing deep introspection, self-reflection, that like five, ten minutes could come up with all their whys and really reflect honestly. And because so much is trapped in our history, our life history, our baggage, our experiences, we tend to invent answers for the why that aren't actually the truth or the root cause of the problem. So, and, and we often use confirmation bias because we'll think of the first answer to that comes to our head and we'll think, oh, well, that's why. That's the reason. And so why isn't necessarily the best approach? And by the way, I have a program I teach called Blameless Autopsy. It's how to create an accountable culture in the workplace. And one of the things I teach people in, the cult, in, that, in that program is when something goes wrong at work, and the first thing you say is, who did it? Who's responsible? That's not the culture you're trying to create. Even why, why is an important question to learn and understand, but it shouldn't be the first question. It should be what happened. Let's figure out what happened here. Let's understand where the process broke down. Okay? So here's the deal. We want to use the question, what? What questions help us stay objective, future-focused, and empowered to act on our new awarenesses? 
So remember the example I just get, gave. Why am I so opposed to this deal or this decision? What is going on that makes me opposed to this decision? What are those things? Now, I'm going to give you one very specific anecdotal example. And I want you to tell me if you can relate to the benefit of the what versus the why when it comes to self-reflection and introspection. So we have a person who's an entertainment industry veteran. This person hated their job. And the person was self-reflecting one day. Why do I feel so terrible? Okay. Ted, if you, and we know, I mean, who wouldn't like working for Chris Thompson? I mean, so that's a given you must love your job. But Ted, where do you think a person would go first? You have a, Speaking of someone who has a lot of life experience, where do you think a person would go first if they were saying, why do I, why do I feel terrible? Why don't I like my job? Where do you think they go first in something like that? I, I would believe that people get trapped into thinking their life would be different in a different job or doing something different. It's like that grass is greener thing. Uh, I don't know what you I don't know what I could ask someone to get them to turn over to me truly what what is irking them. Right, so that's a great point. So if the person asks themselves during introspection, why do I feel terrible? Why don't I like my job? They're probably going to take something at a very high level, a macro level. Well, you know what? I don't like anybody on my team. You know, my boss is really rude to me and, and, and he doesn't appreciate all my hard work. You're going to probably think of something very large, factors, criteria that are making you upset. See, the problem is sometimes people do something called catastrophizing. So when you're triggered or when you're angry, everything seems bad. Everything seems wrong. So why lends itself often to catastrophizing. It lends itself to looking at things at a very macro level. So for this person who is thinking, why do I feel so terrible? Why don't I like my job? What if he said instead to himself, you know what? What are the situations here that make me feel terrible? Right? And what do they have in common? So now it forces you to examine it at a more micro level so you can truly understand what specifically are the situations. What are the scenarios at your job that are making you unhappy? Because you may not be able to not only understand why all of the reasons that are contributing to unhappiness. And here's a perfect example. I can't think of a better example. If you say when you think of why you're unhappy and it's because you don't like your boss, well, guess what? That might be because your current boss reminds you of a past or multiple previous bosses that you had that have triggered you to ex- to exaggerate or exacerbate how you're feeling. Go ahead, Ted. One of those things that is hard to learn is that often what we don't like when we look at someone else is the thing we don't like about ourselves. That's, and that's it's reflecting back and enhancing it in our imagination to be worse than it possibly ever could be. Yeah, no, that's a, that's important because there is a little bit of that reflective. And so, so to Ted's point, if there are things you don't like about your boss and it's actually reflecting what you don't like about yourself, yes, that's a good example. So ultimately, the what question 
lends yourself to get more accurate and reliable data and forces you to go to a deeper level of introspection. Let, let me ask it this way. Why don't you like your boss? That's not a very good question. What don't you like about your boss? Right, right. It's a responsible question. It is. It is. It's getting to the root cause. It's getting to what's really going on. And why just doesn't get it done? It leaves too many stones unturned. It takes too big of a look. And you're trying to do a deeper level of introspection. And that's why I said earlier in this segment, it's what makes emotional intelligence so difficult for people. Because like I said, if you get over that first hurdle where you're even willing to budget the time for it, but then you're now like, wait a minute, now I have to do it right? Now I have to go into a deeper level of introspection and reflection to understand? Huh, that seems like a lot of work. So when we can, we come back for our final segment, we're gonna expand on this concept a little bit more, and I'm gonna give you some best practices to take away immediately after the show today. So for I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back. Now, I Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to our final segment of I Communicate. I'm Mark Altman, and, you know, uh, in between segments, Ted and I were just talking about an example. And so we gave, we just gave the example, why do I feel so terrible, and what are the situations that make me feel terrible would be the better second-level reflection question. So here's one that Ted just mentioned, and I think it's, it's appropriate in a lot of ways. But one of them is, think about someone who's doing something a certain way you don't agree with, and your instinctive reaction is, why do you do it that way? And you may not even say it to the person. You may just say it to yourself. But why do you do it this way? As opposed to, what would be another way I could do this? And that, ladies and gentlemen, is about change management. That is the symbol of why change management is so hard for people. Because I talk about mindset a lot. This is going from a resistance mindset of why do you do it that way to an opportunity mindset, which is what would be another way I could do this. And again, why versus what? And, I, and I'm, look, this even, when I learned more about this in the past, it even shook me a little bit because I'm so used to being why being such a positive question all the time. So it really struggled. But you know, I want to share in our last segment, to put this in real perspective, I want to talk about the word counseling, okay? There is not one person alive, in my opinion, and we know the disclaimer at the beginning of the show, my opinion is not necessarily reflected by the station's opinions, but in my opinion, there is not one person alive that could benefit from a counselor, okay? And I've been going to a counselor for several years, and let me tell you why I made the decision to go to a counselor, because it fits into exactly what we're talking about today. A counselor is someone that is non-judgmental, that listens to you and communicates to you. They're not your mother, father, husband, wife, sister, brother, best friend. They don't know you. So they don't have a, a what's that expression, a horse in the race? They don't have a horse in the race. Skin in the game. So this counselor, non-judgmental, gives me clarity, helps me understand myself better to increase my internal and external self-awareness, helps me be a better communicator, life partner, father, leader, coach, trainer, support system to my kids, the whole kit and caboodle. So why do so many people resist 
going to counseling. Well, we don't have a long enough show for that one. But what I will say is one of the reasons that comes up for people who have gone to a counselor and who often haven't gone to the right counselor say, you know what? Oh, I can't go through all that again. I've already done all that self-reflection mumbo-jumbo. I've already tried to figure out about my childhood and all that stuff. And here's the problem. You may have. I wasn't at your counseling sessions, so I don't know. You may have. But what has this whole show been about today? You may have done it wrong. You may have had a bad counselor. You may have had a a counselor that that helped you and showed you how to go down that path, but didn't, didn't help you apply it. Right? So here's the thing. If you are someone that has gone to counseling before, who has been taught to do self-reflection, who has made some awarenesses about your past, either of past jobs, how you were raised by your parents, past personal relationships you've been in, yippee for you. If you have those awarenesses, but you haven't actually applied any of those awarenesses to your life, that's the point to me. Look, when I go to counseling, I don't want to sit there and do self-reflection every session, all the sessions. I want to do the self-reflection, and then I want to figure out, oh, wait, that's why I do what I do. What what do I need to do differently? Now that I have those self-awarenesses, what do I need to do differently so I'm the most effective communicator, listener, support system I can be? And that's the point of self-reflection. It's not just to have the awarenesses. I think a lot of people, when they go to counseling, are waiting for this holy grail that at some point in three months or six months or 12 months, like some bell or light's right, going to go on. Epiphany's going to happen. Well, right. guess what? Epiphanies will happen, hopefully, if you have a good counselor, but that's not enough. You get the epiphany, you may get the epiphany, you may get the self awareness, but you've got to know how you want to act on it. But, you know how we always say, information or knowledge is power yes well i want to challenge that i think it's the person who applies the information or works with the knowledge that makes it powerful so the beginning of becoming mindful starts with stopping yourself when you're going to say why do you do that and stopping yourself and saying what could we do differently? I love that. It's so what we're talking about on the show today. I love it. And, and so I've said it in all the segments at one point or another today. If you're learning what to do to make less errors in a baseball game, you may get the knowledge and be taught how to stop doing that, but you've got to be motivated to do it and have a plan to do it. Like you said about rounding first base. You can shake, they can wag their head up and down, but unless they realize that it's a left foot off first base around the corner, they're going to lose two paces, and they're going to get caught by the double play. Yeah, I love Ted throwing out some baseball stuff right there. That's great stuff. And listen, one other point to reinforce this is think about if there's been a time in your life where you've gotten negative feedback, Okay. When you get negative feedback, what do you want to do with negative feedback? Do you want to ask yourself or the other person, why did you say this about me? Or do you want to ask yourself or the other person, what are the steps I need to take 
to do better in the future. And again, it's a mindset. Why did you say this is a resistant, frustrated mindset? What are the steps is a growth mindset. That's an opportunity mindset as well. So look, the whole thing about reflection is we're, we're talking about three different levels. Actually, we're talking about four different levels. Level one is you do no self-reflection or introspection whatsoever. And there could be lots of reasons for that. And I'm going to be an opinionated here and say, shame on you. Okay? B is you do some level of self-reflection and introspection. And you may be asking yourself, why? Now, I'll take that. It's better than nothing. It's not going to necessarily give you the results and the right answers you're looking for, but it's better than nothing. The third level, which we've been focusing on in the show today, is that deeper level of reflection and introspection where you're asking what instead of the why or what to get more clarity around the why and get to the root cause of what's holding you back when you self-reflect. And then it's the fourth level that is the creme de la creme, which is, wait, now I understand why I don't appreciate my employees. What, what am I not doing so my employees feel unappreciated? Oh, the reason, the reason it is, is that because every other boss I've ever had hasn't really prioritized appreciating me. So because I've never been appreciated, I'm not demonstrating appreciation. So because I now have that awareness, here's what I need to do differently. That sums it up. If you're not appreciating your employees, if they don't feel recognized enough, what is going on to make that feel that way? And what do you need to do differently to change that culture and to change those perspectives? So this is heavy stuff. Look, I understand this is not like, oh, good. I just listened to the I Communicate podcast and I'm ready to roll. It's not that simple. Well, we're ready to roll, but... It isn't that simple. It's not. And so this is why I spend so much time working with organizations around emotional intelligence related to leadership and sales, around how to communicate across different levels of an organization internally and externally. So look, if you want my support with this and my help, reach out to me. Phone number is 978-793-1159. 978-793-1159. You can email me at info at mindsetgo.com. Have a conversation. Let's talk because managing yourself and self-awareness, I got news for everybody. You can't manage other people. You can't coach and develop other people unless you can manage yourself because you have to be able to understand what makes you tick and how other people perceive you to be the most effective leader that you can be. So for I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. Thank you, Ted, for awesome performance as usual. Thank you, brother. And we'll see you next time for I Communicate. You've been listening to I Communicate with your host, Mark Altman. Join us again each week at this time on full service radio WCRN.